0: They'll tell you who they are afterwards. After I've read, I'm going to pray on your behalf for Pastor Luke, and he's going to expound this passage of Scripture, very familiar passage of Scripture. By the way, I've had my name since shortly after 4.15 a.m. on March the 18th, 1949, coming in at nine pound, ten and three quarters. There were never any more children after me. So today's Bible reading is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. So that's 742 or 853 in your Bible. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for Pastor Luke. What a privilege it is, dear Father God, to have your written word and your living word in our midst today. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ and make them real to us. We pray for liberty for Pastor Luke now as he comes and brings this living word to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
1: Thank you, Kingsley, and good morning, everyone. Been a great morning so far. I so say thank you to Sarah and Ashley as well, um, and our team who've been up here this morning. Our worship leaders do something really important on Sunday mornings. They lead us in an encounter with Jesus. They help us to follow Him, and there's a the whole bunch of ways that God's people can help one another follow Jesus. This is one of them, and we're very thankful for it. But it is an opportunity and a privilege that God gives us to us. God gives to us all. To help others on the way of following and that's both an exciting thing to do when you see a person come alive in their relationship with Jesus. It's a fantastic thing to see and it's, it's a privilege to be a part of but sometimes it's a painful thing to do as well. You might have had the experience of helping someone to do that, to follow Jesus but then to see at some point, for some reason, whatever it might be, things get hard and they turn and walk away. I think back to a, a young person who I knew well for probably six or seven years and this was a brilliantly intelligent person, had a lot going for them they were smart, they had a head full of knowledge, quite charismatic in personality, they knew their scriptures well, they knew God well but also this gift of leadership the ability to to gather and influence people and lead them somewhere the, the problem was for this person I had a chance to meet with them regularly for a number of years. The problem was a pattern started to emerge and this person she would kind of fire up and ignite and you could see God was getting a hold of her and doing some really amazing things both in her life but then through her into other people's lives and she would take these big steps forward and grow but then at some point she'd come to a point where God would challenge her about something specifically, might ask her to reprioritize something or just to make a change to the practices, the way she was living. And at some point she'd come to that realisation that it was too hard and she'd turn and walk away. A bit later on though, this was was the pattern, a bit later on she'd kind of turn around and come back again, kind of re-engage with God, walk a little bit further, some other great things might happen but then sure enough the next challenge would come, something would be too hard, she'd turn around and walk away again. It was a pattern that developed over quite a number of years and in the end for her it it was too hard and as best I could figure it there were some parts of her that she simply couldn't hand over. She couldn't accept that there was something or someone greater than herself to whom she had to give account. Something had a claim on her life other than herself and she couldn't give that up. So she'd follow Jesus to a point but then she realised that I can't Give up that as well. So it's this real tragedy. She would come so close so often, yet at the same time seem so far away. As Sarah said before, we're right smack bang in the middle of a series at the moment called Come and Follow. And we've been looking at Jesus' call to come and follow him from the Gospel of Luke. And there's a whole bunch of stories in Luke's Gospel where Jesus makes that call to people to come and follow all the time it comes up, come and follow me with your life and that call from Jesus is always the same but we find through Luke's gospel as well as the rest of scripture that the response that people offer to Jesus varies greatly and we look at the story, a story this morning of someone for whom that call was too hard, the story that Kingsley just read to us. It's a man described as a rich ruler and he was a man who could see something appealing in Jesus and he was drawn towards it But at the same time, it seemed that there was something that was holding him back as well. There was something he wasn't able to let go of, which prevented him from becoming a true follower. So what was it that got in his way? You know, that Bible story we just heard, this rich ruler approaches Jesus and he asks him this question about eternal life. What must I do to receive eternal life? There's this dialogue that takes place, I'll look at that in a sec, but it ends up with Jesus with these well-known words, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God or to receive eternal life. Those two things are kind of interchangeable in this passage. It seems at a glance that Jesus identifies this man's wealth as the roadblock, the thing that stops him from entering the kingdom, his money. It wasn't actually his money though. It kind of was, but it kind of wasn't. There's actually something more subtle and more sinister going on here that becomes the roadblock for this man. There's something else ticking away beneath the surface. Does anyone want to have a shot at what it is? If it's not his money, what might it be? Anyone want to have a crack? Security? Yep. And actually, if you look back at the couple of stories right before this one in in Luke 18, we get some clues there as well. Is security any anything else? Yeah, yep. Certainly, we'll we'll come back to that as well. All of those things are at play, and other things as well. The ultimate issue, I put it down to one of. Not just me, but it seems to be one of status. It's his position, and it's his power, it's his influence. Society that man was in, the position he held, he had significant status. It turns out that that was what got in his way of him being able to follow Jesus. It's funny how it goes, when you've got a, a message coming up to give, quite often these things happen that it's kind of tap right into the passage that you're going to speak about. And I was reading the results of some research quite recently, a week or two ago. And it was a research that was done to work out how long it takes for a person to form an initial opinion about another person when they first see them. So what, what would you guess be if... If you see someone for the first time out in the street or wherever, you've never seen them before and you lay eyes on them, what would your guess be? How long does it take you to form your initial opinion about them? This is a um, bit more self-revealing. Anyone want to tell us what you think? How long would it take? Sorry? Five minutes? You're a very, very generous man. (laughs) Five seconds? Anything in between? Actually, is remarkably close. The answer, from, according to this research, was 4.7 seconds. This is how messed up we are. Like, the status game begins within five seconds of us seeing someone. I've, since I heard that number, I've paid attention to myself when I'm out in public, to try to <laughs> work out what I do. Sure enough, I did it the other day. I was down at the shops and I saw this guy. He was looking a little bit, kind of a little bit dishevelled, I suppose, a L- little bit erratic. I don't reckon I gave him a second and a half until I started to measure where I thought he fitted. This is how messed up we are. We So quickly, we we assign worth and value and position and power and status to a person without even having a clue who they are. We establish this invisible... We don't establish it, it's already there, this invisible social hierarchy. And the sad thing is, maybe I was right, my measure of that person, maybe it was right according to that social hierarchy. But also, maybe I was wrong because perhaps I was using the wrong categories to measure in in the first place. This is part of our human condition, though. We we set up these hierarchies and systems and then we, we tend to locate people within them. The fascinating thing about Jesus is that he just doesn't do that he knows the hierarchies are there, the human hierarchies, he knows they're there, he just refuses to play the game. It's it's just not how he sees people. The start of this conversation in this story with this rich ruler, he's actually invited right in to play that game. This man approaches Jesus and he calls him good teacher, compliments him. It's actually the start of the game. You know, the culture of the day, what that man's doing, he's trying to create some public kind of face for Jesus. Compliments him, there's people around, Jesus ends up looking a bit bit better, that's the intention and if Jesus had played the game what he would do is compliment the man back so they both kind of lift up a little bit in the eyes of the people. Jesus shuts him down though, he won't engage in the game. He doesn't do the old scratch your back and you scratch mine, he just won't have a piece of it and he kind of, he shoots this man down from the start And that's certainly embarrassing for that man in that situation and confronting. It's very confusing as well. And it might be confusing for us as well because it's really, really hard to ignore status in a world that is set up in so many ways based on it. So that guy I saw down at the shop, did I even have a chance to not form an opinion about him? I'm not really sure that I did because I've lived for 41 years in the system and this is what... I've learnt to do exactly that we have this inbuilt framework it, it tells us where a person sits we assign a status and we, we also have one ourselves and we might spend a whole big part of our lives trying to work in that space develop and enhance our own status but we see time and time again it's just not how Jesus sees people and the funny thing is This guy, this rich ruler, he's he's got a lot going for him. You know the commandments, Jesus says. Jesus knew that the man had lived a good life by the commandments. He he does get a little bit of an affirmation there for that. But then comes the challenge, of course. Jesus recognises where he's at and he calls him to go further. He says, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. It's hard to overstate the size of that challenge. As I said before, it's about money, but it's about more than that too. The reason it was such a challenge is for that rich ruler standing before Jesus in that moment, his view of the world told him that the blessing that he had in his life, his wealth, his power, his privilege, his position, his status, all of those things in his mind and in the minds of the crowds around him, all of those things were a sign from God that he had lived a good life, that God was smiling on him, He'd done well, so God had rewarded him. That was his view. Yet before him was a man who claimed to be from God, telling him that he had to be prepared to give away those things if he wanted to be a true follower. So he has this dilemma, right? How how can I give away the thing that tells me that I've got God's favour? And how can I give away the evidence to tell all these other people that God is happy with me too, that I'm living rightly? How can I give away the thing that provides for me my status in the eyes both of these people, but also in the eyes of God. Didn't make sense. The crowds, as, as well as this man, are, they're just as confused as he, as he is. They said, Well, who then can be saved? If not this man with all his wealth and blessing and privilege, if this man doesn't have God's blessing, then who does? What chance have any of us got? It's a lost cause. problem of course though, that all these people the man, this crowd, they're operating under the values of the world system they understood status how the world understood status hadn't yet recognized that the kingdom of God turns all of that on its head the only status Jesus cared about was the one that he knew mattered the most, that was a person's status before God wealth, money privilege, power All of those things had no relevance at all, except that they were holding this man back. So we find the question well, so where do we stand? I'm not sure at times, it's hard to know. It it seems to be human nature that, certainly not everyone, but many of us, we're drawn toward power. We see their status. Who doesn't want these things? Their power is enticing. Who doesn't honestly want to have influence and power and control of other things and of other people? Certainly of our own lives. And who, when we've got those things, who wouldn't struggle to let go of them when we needed to? I've got to say that some of the most inspiring followers of Jesus I've known are people who have made a very deliberate choice not to pursue a career advancement beyond a certain point. People, some, of, some people I've known, you know, in careers that would have provided for them significant status and power if they kept kind of following that career path. But for these incredible people, they saw the point coming where their career would, at some point in time, it was going to stop being a way that they were able to serve God and turn into a thing that instead served them. They saw that kind of tension point coming and they made the decision not to go any further. Hugely difficult when the opportunity is there, but inspiring nonetheless. You know, where do we stand? We live in a country like Australia. Money comes up in this passage. Almost every one of us in this room, if not all of us, we sit in the top 1 to maybe 3% of the world's wealthiest people. This is where we are on the world stage. And who hasn't made the mistake before of assuming too quickly that what we have is a sign simply of God's blessing? Assuming somehow maybe we think that we deserve this more than other people because somehow we're more worthy. Who of us hasn't thought that at some point? And failing to recognise that because of these status games and the way this stuff works... Other countries, other people don't have what they have, sometimes because those who have very, very much, this whole system is set up to favour some. Unfortunately, at the exploitation of others. Yet in the face of that, seeing people, followers of Jesus, who they're motivated by the grace and the mercy of God in their lives to let go of some of what they've got so that they can lift up others, to give away their status or their wealth, To advantage people other than themselves. You know, where do we stand? A world that wants to measure us by a different scale. Who, at the end of the day, doesn't find it hard to let our true status be determined by God alone? You know, if you're anything like me, I'd much rather try to earn it myself than depend on something that ultimately I can't control. So, where do we stand? It's a hard passage. We're told that this rich ruler walks away sad because he suddenly realised what was at stake. The challenge is there and it's real but the good thing is there's one more part to the story too and it's Jesus' response to Peter. Peter and the disciples have been there with the crowds to witness this conversation take place. Seems to be a little bit confused like everyone else and Peter makes the point to Jesus to say that well, he and the other disciples, they have left everything behind to follow Jesus. Jesus says to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. In other words, you won't lose out, Jesus promises. The challenge here is enormous, but There's a promise of something even greater, not just in the next life, but in this life, in the here and the now. And it sounds like a pretty good deal. We get to give up competing in the world's status games. Imagine for a moment how liberating that would be if we could truly do it. Give up competing in the world's status games. We stop trying to accumulate the things that don't change how God sees us. And we just simply receive the one thing that does we're found in Jesus we're promised that will make our lives infinitely better more than losing a few things that it might cost us along the way might make them worse and of course best of all we're promised a future life with God in his kingdom for the age to come for eternity sounds like a pretty good deal so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to we pray now to acknowledge you as, as Lord of all things. For ourselves, our lives, the very essence of who we are. We belong to you. That being the case, your call to follow is it's just a call to live out who we're meant to be. There are hard moments along the way for sure. For every one of us, always there are challenges. Uh, The the call of this passage to be people who are willing to let go of the things that are stopping us from walking further and deeper with you. Uh, Those are tough calls to make. They bring cost and sacrifice at times. But we thank you for the reminder of this passage, the provision of hope, to say that when we do that, when we let go of the things that you need us to let go of, to enable us to follow, the life we receive in return is so much greater. To be freed from having to pursue a a worldly status that we we have one, whether we want it or not, Um, but to let go of that being our pursuit, that being our cause to serve ourselves or something other than you, Um, to let go of those things and simply become more fully a child of God pray that you help us to make those calls, identify those changes that are needed and to believe and have hope and trust in what the promise is that you have made, that we will know something even greater and even more, both in this life and in the one to come. Thank you for this call. We pray that we'd be your faithful, be faithful people who are able to follow to the best of our ability, depending on your grace and your provision every step of the way. We thank you and we pray in your name. Amen.